Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and this evening I'll be your host as we talk about the most popular and most useful applications for the smartphones. This program is being recorded by Airs LA, and it will be available at the Airs LA website at www.airs, and that is A-I-R-S-L-A dot org. Also at the CCLVI website at www.cccLVI.org. And also, it will be broadcasted on ACB Radio on Friday evening and Saturday. So to get more information about ACB Radio, you can go to www.acbradio.org. So our guest panelists this evening, we have two very, very experts, strong experts in the area of smartphones for people with low vision. And from California... We have Mr. Joel Isaacs. Welcome to the show, Joel. Thanks, Dr. Bill. And we also have from Los Angeles, Mr. Julian Vargas. Welcome, Julian. Hi, Hi Dr. Bill. Thanks for having me back on. Yes. You know, the last time that you were on, Julian, we had such positive responses about a lot of the recommendations you had regarding smartphones. And as we're talking about smartphones, we're really referring to cell phones that could do more than just make phone calls. These are cell phones that are just like little computers, and you could send and receive text messages, email. You could surf the Internet, and you could do all sorts of other things with these smartphones. And the two most popular cell phones that we do find many people with low vision using nowadays are the Apple iPhone and cell phones that run the Android operating system. So we're going to begin with you, Joel. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and which types of cell phones that you've been using over the past few years? Uh, I'm a software developer and kind of a jack-of-all-trades. I've used a lot of different cell phones uh, since probably, you know, the cell phones really started becoming popular. uh, I've been using one, and I'm low vision. And, you know, I, I've been using a cell phone as I've lost my vision. So I have, you know, used generally the mainstream cell phones, and then I got into using some of the Nokia tel- cell phones that have the screen readers on them that you, you buy and install separately. And I've been using an Android phone for about two years now, and I'm getting ready to get another one. And which cell phone are you using? Which brand or model? Uh, it's called a Motorola Droid X. Uh, in terms of uh, the footprint, it's a lot like the iPhone where it's a full touch screen, but it's a little bit bigger. It's a four and a half inch screen, uh, full four and a half, half inch touch screen with a couple of buttons at the bottom of the phone. Great. And Julian, how about yourself? Can you tell us about which cell phones that you have been using and which phones you're presently using? Okay. Uh, I got started back in uh, early 2005 when I got my first uh, accessible cell phone, which was a Nokia 6620 with uh, talk software. And I quickly uh, moved up from there. Uh, For several years, I used 
the uh, Nokia N82, which was the phone, the first phone that ran the KNFB reader software on it. It's a great phone. In fact, I still do use it uh, for most of my phone functions just because I like how functional it is. But I also uh, use the iPhone quite a bit these days, um, not so much for the phone capabilities, but for everything else that it does, because really today's smartphones are a mini computer. Uh, today's smartphones, uh, most of them now, are just as, if not more powerful than the average desktop computer of even as early, as recent as five years ago. So uh, they're quickly replacing uh, that function for a lot of us. And I use it for so many things, for everything from navigating, from getting uh, real-time bus information, uh, for helping me with uh, shopping with uh, by use of barcode scanning apps. I mean, you name it. There's so many things that this device does for me. Well, you know, it really saves you from having to carry around so many different products, doesn't it? Uh, yes and no. I'm I'm a bit of a, of a of a gadget geek, so I still do carry several things around with me. But it uh, it, it uh, it's the it's my go-to device for most of of my needs these days. Yes. Yeah. And Julian, for the information of the audience, are you partially sighted or are you totally blind? I am partially sighted. Okay, great. Well, um, Joel, would you go ahead and just explain to everybody who may not know, what is an application? We hear so much talk about running applications on the smartphone. Uh, what is an application? And will an application that is made for the Android operating system also work on cell phones that run the Apple operating system. Now, an application simply is just a program that's running on your device. Like, like as Julian mentioned, these cell phones now are a lot like our computers. So if you get a, you can get a program for Windows like Office 2000 or Office 2010, that's an application. We have a similar set of applications for the phones. Um, for instance, I have a, a, a word processing program on my on my phone called QuickOffice, uh, and it, it acts just like Microsoft Word, but I'm using it on my phone instead. And in terms of, that's a little complicated. There are there are programs that could be compatible across, uh, but that's a new thing that's coming out. Generally, in the past, you haven't. Had you haven't been able to take one application from Android and and put it on your iPhone? Usually, you have two separate versions. Okay, thank you. And Julian, as far as the the quantity, the number of applications that are available, um, do you have any idea as to how many different application programs are available for uh, these types of phones? And are these particular types of application programs, are they, are they something that are very, very expensive, or do we find that they're more affordable? Oh, gosh. I don't have exact numbers, but I can tell you that there's thousands upon thousands of applications, or, or we generally refer to them as apps in short. So when you hear that term app, it's short for applications. And there are literally thousands and thousands of, of, of choices. You you just go into the, any of the app store. If you're on the iPhone, you go to the app store and built into the iPhone. If you're using Android, you go to the Google Play uh, store, uh, and you type in what you're looking for, and you're bound to find uh, something that that suits that need.
I could just add one quick thing related to the last question that you asked, Joel. The differences in, in smartphone platforms is kind of similar to the differences between, say, uh, Windows and Mac operating system or Linux. They're different operating systems, and natively you, you cannot run an app written for iPhone on an Android. Now, uh, most developers these days will develop for both platforms, but they, they literally they have to be it, – it's, it's, like it's literally has to be written in two different ways in order to run on the different platforms. There's a move to HTML5 right now, and that's going to make things cross-compatible a lot easier. So that's right. not, that's not really adopted yet, but it's really close to being a reality. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that Apple has released their version of a smartphone, and they are also planning to upgrade the version of their operating system. So there's another another thing to think about. Is that is that right, Joel? Yeah, and it's not just upgrading their operating system. It looks like the iPhone 5 will be a big step in a, you know, in a different direction. They're even they're, the screen is going to be bigger. I heard that they're going to be going to a 4-inch screen. They're also going to be changing the elect, the the power plug on the iPhone. Right now it's a 30-pin plug. So like you can take your iPhone and plug it into your, you know, they have clock radios that you can dock your iPhone into. They have, they even have cars that you can dock them into. But now that plug is going to get smaller in order to, to you know, accommodate a whole new set of applications and, and uh, you know, different things that you can plug into. It, sound, it sounds not like a big deal, but that, that just that simple plug is going to be a big change. And do you think that'll be for the better or for the worse when the iPhone changes its plug? Well, you know, Steve Jobs, when he started designing these devices, he had, he was taking things that already existed, but he he had a way of being able to improve upon them. So even though you probably will have to buy a new clock radio and get all new pieces of accessories to go with your iPhone, it, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be for the better. Maybe there will be, you, you can power up your iPhone faster or you can, you can, you know, send information quicker using that new plug. Now, there will definitely be some reason for doing that. Okay. Now, one of the things that a lot of uh, patients that come to our center, the Center for the Partially Sighted, they are often under the impression that Android operating cell phones, they are not immediately accessible to people who are either partially sighted or blind. And as a result, many of them, they understand that they are not forced, but they, they tend to lean towards using the iPhone because the iPhone is instantly accessible. Uh, how about the Android operating system cell phones now? Are they immediately accessible to a person who is either low vision or totally blind, Joel? So, so in the past, not all Android phones had the voice output features. It, it had been built in on, on most of the phones in the last two or three years, but not you know some manufacturers decided not to include voice output. But it looks like the new versions 
they they're all equipped with it and much like on the iPhone where you t- hit the, the triple tap the home button on the on the new Android phones you you swipe around the periphery of the screen and that that turns your voice on also okay so by just using your finger and swiping in a square pattern on the edge of the screen that will turn on the voice that's my understanding okay great and Julian what's your understanding of the accessibility of the Android phones now do they come with built-in magnification and speech output well uh, j- just to uh, talk a little bit about the drawing the uh, square on the, the periphery I actually went to a store recently with a friend of mine who wanted to look at the uh, one of the new phones, the Galaxy S3, which is one of the hot sellers right now. And I uh, I tried that with the salesperson's phone, and we could not get that to work. Uh, we have to go into the menus and still poke around and turn on the accessibility. So um, as far as magnification, it does have uh, zooming in and out uh, sort of capabilities. Um the uh, you know it, in general it's it's sort of just a little bit of a different way of doing things than iPhone, and as the Android operating system matures, it does seem that the accessibility gets better and better, and uh, someday I I think it has uh, every potential to be just as smooth and as polished as what currently sounds with iPhone. You know what though I I still think it will be different. The, the the reason the two phones are two types of phones are, are have differences is because they're patents on every movement that you have on each phone. Like uh, for instance, the triple tap of the home key to turn on accessibility that's patented by Apple. If anybody tried to use that similar technique without getting permission from Apple, Apple would sue them. Uh, and that happens with Google too. Google has certain patents on doing things. Unfortunately for us as consumers, it it actually blocks us from being able to enjoy, you know, crossing over back and forth on these devices because it is a mind shift when you go from one to the other, much like going from Windows to to a Mac. Right. I I guess when I say smooth in that sense of regard to accessibility, I don't mean that the gestures would be identical. What I mean is in terms of that you go in and you turn it on, and once you turn it on, like with the iPhone, you don't have to go and download another browser. You don't have to go and and, and do different things to it. When you turn it on, everything that all the native apps on the, on the iPhone are generally accessible to it. So it just it tends to be, at least I find that with the clients I work with, they, they have a much easier time of getting it set up and up and running with the iPhone versus when it's tried with Android. And I think that eventually Android will get to the point where it'll be just as easy to activate the accessibility and more and more of the elements will be accessible. Of course, yeah, different gestures, different things with the patents and such. Um, will, you know, so there's always a little, there's always going to be a little learning curve, but I think someday it, um, it will be just as, as smooth of an experience. Well, that's great. That's great to know. And hopefully that the sales staff at most of these stores that sell them they will be a bit more knowledgeable about how to turn on the accessibility features. I know that uh, many times that I've been in stores, the sales staff really weren't too familiar with how a blind person could use these phones. But for me, you know, I was very hesitant to purchasing a smartphone because I felt 
I would probably still do most of the things that I want to do on a computer. But after I was given uh, a smartphone, I was just surprised at how frequently I would use some of these applications. And for me, as a person who is totally blind, the thing that I really find myself using most is the application that allows me to identify my currency. Uh, Julian, you want to talk about the currency identification app for the iPhone? Yeah, I mean, there's several different choices out there, but in my personal opinion, hands down, the, the best one out there is called uh, the Money Reader by a company called LookTel. If you go into the App Store and type in L-O-O-K-T-E-L, uh, you'll find uh, that application as well as another one that they have called uh, Recognizer, uh, which uses a lot of the same technology for a different purpose. But it's so easy. When, when you set the, when you install this app, all you do is you open it, and you don't need to do anything else other than to hold it above a bill, about maybe six inches or so above a bill, and instantly it, uh, it will be recognized and the denomination will be spoken. Some people get confused because they think, oh, um, I turned it on and it's not doing anything. They think they have to press a button because they're used to other apps where you have to take a picture of something first and then wait for a response. But this one does it in real time, and it's just it's such a useful, handy app. And if I may add, it, it's really quick, isn't it, Julian? Yeah, it's, it's amazingly quick when you really think about what it's doing. And uh, does it do other types of currencies other than United States currency? If Let's say that you're in Canada or you're in Europe. Uh, do you know, does it have the potential of reading other bills? At the moment, it does read Canadian currency. I believe it reads Australian and it might also read uh, British pounds, and I forget. I thought there was one more, but off the top of my head, I'm not remembering it. But I think they're going to undoubtedly add more to it as time goes on. Uh, the recognizer app that I spoke of earlier lets you use that same technology to recognize objects and, and add audio labels to it. So clearly it's, it's a technology that can be adapted to read or recognize just about any image. And what's the price of the LookTel Money Reader? The Lookfell Money Reader currently costs uh, $9.99, so just a hair under $10. And I think it's uh, one of the best $10 ever spent, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's great. And I remember, Julian, uh, I was just so thrilled when you introduced me to the the iBill, and I think that was $100. I thought that was a great deal. Well, the iBill was great when, when you compare it to what other standalone bigger, bulkier, clunkier uh, money identifiers used to cost. That in and of itself was a breakthrough, but uh, time goes on, uh, technology evolves, and uh, clearly the uh, look money reader, I think, is the best thing out there for currency identification. Yeah. And Joel, how about for the Android uh, uh, smartphones? Is there something that's similar, or does LookTel make an app that... You know, Dr. Bill, I haven't actually looked into that at all. I still I still recognize money the old-fashioned way. <laughs> if I give somebody more money than I'm supposed to and I, I notice that they're a little happier than they should be, I ask for my money back. So it's a low-tech way, but I, should, I, I think I will look into that. Okay, so for people like myself who are totally blind, you're just not really quite certain if there is a currency identification uh program for the Android? I haven't looked, but I'm sure 
that, that they, they must have something out there. They're, as Julian mentioned, there are millions of apps for, for both, both of these, these operating systems. So people are working on all kinds of things. Okay, and tell us about what is uh, some of the most popular apps that you use on your Android phone? Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of different things on my phone. Uh, one of the things I, I really like doing is listening to music and listening to the radio. So I, I use two things for that. One is the, the built-in music player in, in, in the phone. Uh, it's really accessible. Anytime I put any type of sound on my phone, it goes into the music player's list, and I can navigate by song or by album or by artist, and I can search uh, for anything that I actually have on my phone. Uh, but then for listening to radio, I, I have another program called TuneIn Radio. Uh, it's really it's really great. It's very accessible. You can search for any any radio station in the world, and it'll play the stream for you. So I listen to different programs from all over the world, uh, New York, London, India. You, know, you can find all of it on, on TuneIn Radio. And how much is that application? Uh, TuneIn Radio is, is, has a free version. And I think uh, if you want to pay for a pro version, maybe $4. It's something really nominal. Wow, that's great. So. Even if you're traveling in India and you want to hear your local radio station that you're familiar with, uh, you could then get those very easily then using your phone. You better make sure that you tell your phone company, though, that you're going because they'll charge you long-distance charges for all the data and the phone usage. And uh, so what would be the solution to that? Let's say that I was traveling to the Olympics in London, but I really wanted to hear my morning radio station in L.A., uh, what, what would I tell my uh, Internet company? No, my, no it really no. depends on, on who your carrier is. Like, like with Verizon, you, can, you call them and you tell them, okay, I'm going to London for this period of time. Uh, can you tell me how much your long-distance long package would be for roaming? Uh, then they'll give you a price, which is may seem high at the time they quote it to you, but it's a lot cheaper than getting charged for full roaming. You mentioned India. I When I first got the Droid X, I happened to go to India, and I didn't tell Verizon. And I, you know, I just happened to turn on my phone just to take a, a video or a picture of something or get GPS directions. And when I came back, I had a $150 bill. <laughs> so I, I won't do that again. I'm telling Verizon next time. If you're using something like AT&T or T-Mobile, they, they use a, a, a GSM phone, though. So that's a little different. You can take your, your chip that, out of your phone that contains your phone number, and you can go to wherever you happen to be traveling to, and you can switch out the your your U.S. chip for whatever they use there, and then you don't, you're on their system, so then you're not being charged. Okay, so the, if you are traveling to a different country, it's really important to call your uh, cell phone company. Just lets you know, otherwise, let them know, otherwise you may be incurring some high roaming fees and such. Yeah. Okay, great. How about you, Julian? 
How about, are there some other applications that you find to be just really so essential and you use them on your your iPhone every day? Well, I'll tell you about uh, things that, that, that I use on a regular basis, uh, both for, you know, useful purposes as well as entertainment. Uh, one app that, that recently came out that I think is, is uh, something I call revolutionary, and I don't say that about a lot of apps, it's an app called Flexi. Uh, just became available uh, several days ago. It's an app that changes, uh, makes it much easier to type on a touch screen. One of the difficulties with being blind or low vision and typing on a touch screen is that you're, you don't have keys to feel anymore, so you have to find different ways of getting yourself oriented on the screen, and there's so many solutions out there. But ultimately, it's an on-screen keyboard, and it can be uh, time-consuming. This app... Uh, puts up a QWERTY keyboard on your screen, and what you do is instead of type touching a letter and waiting to hear what that letter is and then going to the next one, you basically type on the keyboard with fingers, uh, you know, two thumbs, however it is one prefers to type on a small on-screen keyboard. And instead of trying to get the letter exactly right, you type, uh, you, you hit your fingers approximately where the letters will be located and type out the word and then you flick to the right, and it guesses by the pattern of, of what you just entered what word you were trying to type. And I have to say, at least 90% of the time, it gets it right on the first try. And if it's not the word you wanted, then you flick down and you keep going through the different choices of other words that it could be. And once it, once it's the word that you want, you uh, then uh, type out the next word and the next word, etc. And it, uh, it definitely improves typing speed quite a bit. Uh, it's more analogous to the way sighted people type on the phone without having to wait for audio feedback. That's an app that I've just recently been playing with and I think is, is one that everybody wants to look at. The spelling of it is S-L-E-K-S-Y. Um, how, how fast can you go with that, Julian? Uh, put it this way. Uh, I can go almost as fast as the way I would type on a T9 keypad on my Nokia N82, which was pretty fast. Oh, that's good. So it's 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 a great app. Uh, it's a little pricey as far as apps go, but I think it's well worth it. And my hope is that someday Apple realizes the value of this and does what it tends to do, and that's snatch up these companies and then incorporate what they have into its operating system, kind of like what they did with Siri. Uh, I'm hoping that someday they do the same thing and make this a, a a keyboard choice that you can enable in the phone because then it would make it even much more functional. It would take less steps out of uh, typing in an email and uh, having to hit another button to, to send a, and open your email app and such. So that's a great app, and I, I, I think a lot of people should check it out. Other yeah, apps that I, I use uh, other apps that, that, that I use regularly, uh, I think one of the ones I use the most is the Next Bus app, uh, because I travel a lot. Uh, and it's a way of getting real-time bus information as far as when the bus is coming to your nearest stop. And it's all done by using your GPS location to geolocate your nearest stops and nearest bus lines. And then all the buses of the uh, transit systems that, that, that are uh, involved with this program, they all have GPS receivers in them. So they're constantly, the locations are constantly being updated in their system. So I can check to see when my next bus is due to arrive not based on a schedule that's on a paper somewhere that doesn't take into consideration traffic or, or anything like that, 
but rather where the actual physical location of the bus happens to be. Uh, I love that app. I use it all the time. Uh, I mentioned when I go shopping, um, as my vision continues to diminish, you know, I can use a video magnifier, but after a while, if you're doing a lot of shopping, that could even a video magnifier, that could lead to some eye strain. I find it much easier now to use barcode scanning apps, and one of my favorites is called Digit Eyes, D-I-G-I-T-E-Y-E-S. Uh, it allows me to scan the barcode on a product, and within seconds, I'm told, uh, you know, as long as I, it's in their database, and they have quite an extensive database, I'm told uh, what the product is, and now with the newest version of it, I can hit a button that says more information and get information similar to what one gets with, say, the ID name, where you, if the manufacturer has it available, they can get uh, cooking instructions, they can get nutritional and ingredient information. It's a really great and useful app, uh, Digitize. So this has really made grocery shopping uh, much easier for me. It's taken a lot of the hassle and high strain out of it. Uh, for travel, I like using several different apps. There, as of yet, there is not one app that does everything I need from GPS, but Sendero, I hear, is supposed to be coming out with something soon. Hopefully that will address all of that. But uh, I use apps like uh, Navigon, which gives you guided GPS, the traditional GPS that we're all used to, that tells you to turn right, turn left, and all that. Uh, for orientation purposes, I use an app called Ariadne GPS, A-R-I-A-D-N-E GPS. It's really good at telling me the nearest address that I've located near, which is uh, useful if you're walking down the street. Oh, and it updates this in real time without having to constantly interact with a phone screen, which sometimes is not very convenient if you're trying to find your way somewhere have to constantly stop and touch the screen and try to update information. So it does it automatically, which is great, and I use it all the time if I'm trying to find an address in an unfamiliar place. For finding intersections, like when you're on the bus and you're not sure what intersection you're near, I like Sendero's Look Around app, which uh, does that very well. Um, let's see, for entertainment, uh, Joel mentioned uh, radio apps. Uh, TuneIn Radio is a great example of an app that exists on both platforms. I have that app, and uh, it's very cool. Although my favorite one is called Utunes or O-O-Tunes, and it's spelled just like that, O-O-T-U-N-E-S. And it has got an amazing selection of stations all over the world that I can tune into at any time. So, uh, I mean, there's so many other things that I do here and there with the phone, but I, I think those are the things I, do, I use. Those are the apps I use mostly on a regular basis. And, Julian, with uh, all of these great recommendations of great apps, um, do you basically recommend that people will go in and just buy them? Or when you do search for applications, are there usually a demonstration version that will allow you to try it for a couple of hours or a couple of minutes before you purchase it? No, on, on the iOS, the, the Apple iPhone platform, generally you might have people who have free apps and pro versions of apps. There's not a lot of apps that, that have a demo mode, so to speak, where you can try it for a while and, and then uh, you upgrade. I think uh, we're seeing more and more of in-app uh, purchases being made available. So I'm hoping that in the future maybe that's, that's something that developers take advantage of, where they could give us the ability to test drive an app for a specified amount of time, and then if we like it, 
we can just hit an in-app purchase button and uh, and buy the upgrade. So, um, but there's a lot. Of, some of the apps I mentioned uh, are free or, or very low cost. So there's a lot of choices out there. I mean, for for barcode scanning, although I like Digitize and that is a paid app, there are a lot of free apps that do similar things, uh, like the Amazon Price Check app. There's a Red Laser Classic that's free. There's another one called Bacado, B-A-K-O-D-O, I think it is. Uh, so there's there's other there's there's free alternatives out there. Uh, for for money reading, for example, there is an app that's uh, subsidized by the government called iNotes. It's uh, it's not quite as quick and as simple as uh, as Look Tell Money Reader, but if 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 one is on a tighter budget, it certainly will work. It's just where you instead of doing it real time, you you take a picture of the bill, and then its denomination is uh, decoded and read aloud to you. So there are free alternatives out there to things. Great, great. Thank you for those suggestions. And how about you, Joel? What are some of the other apps that you use on a daily basis for yourself and your family and your your, your little baby? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, there, I use the phone a lot with with Henry. Um, Julian mentioned the keyboard, and, and that's one thing that's really changed my uh, access to the phone recently. I'm using something called the Ice Free Keyboard, which has the, you know, it's an on-screen keyboard uh, that has multiple modes. You have a navigation mode where you can maneuver around the screen and it'll read the screen out to you. But then it also has a keyboard where you can, you know, explore the the, the screen of the phone and it'll give you the letters. But if you find that to be slow, there's a there's a microphone mode where you can read the letters out into the keyboard and it'll enter it into the phone for you. Another thing that I like to use, uh, like Julian mentioned, is uh, the barcode scanner is built in to uh, the the Android. It's a that's basically what it's called, barcode scanner, and you you basically can take your phone and wave it in front of a barcode and it'll either identify it or it'll give you pricing information for the product, either with Google or with, you know, multiple third parties. I mean, you, I like to walk, so I always use the pedometer on, on the, the, you know, just kind of like the Boy Scouts, you, you know, hook it onto your belt and you walk. I actually am doing that with my phone. I'm using a program called uh, Noom Walk that's the N is in Nancy, O is in Oscar, O is in Oscar, M is in Mary, and it, it's kind of cool. You can see how far you how far you've walked each day. It'll save it, and you can look at you can either have graphs or it'll read out the numbers to you. So you can you can tell how much you've been sitting in front of your desk or how much you've been moving. I, you know, for productivity, I'm using something called Dropbox on my computer. And I can put a file that I'm working on into Dropbox on my computer, and it'll show up on my phone. So I can take a, a file with me like that, where it'll just, uh, you know, magically appear in my Dropbox on my phone. I'm also, you know, I since, you know, video and pictures, it, they're really good on the Android phones. I When I could see, I take videos of my son. But I tend to do more voice recordings, and I found a really good uh, voice recorder, simply called Easy Voice Recorder. 
Uh, I, all I have is like a one button press record, and it'll it'll start recording. And when I want to stop, I can just simply you know wave my hand over it and and find the stop button very easily. Uh, it actually has made trying to record him a lot easier because now I can do it on the fly rather than having to get all this equipment ready. It just pull my phone out, turn on the application, and just put the phone out of out of reach and. I get good recordings of my son babbling. So, I mean, those are just some of the basics. But really, depending on what you want, either phone can has apps that can fit your needs. Yeah, like, for yeah. instance, with the money money thing, I never looked for it. But, you know, there are a lot of people that have that need. So developers build these applications based on, you know, being able to to sell the programs to people. I mean, that's just one one thing you could do. There, there's a lot of other things. And I I tend to think that in the future, in the coming future, one to two years, there's going to be more and more and more developers of applications making them for um, the Android operating system yeah. because it being open source, it may be a little bit easier to produce apps for the Android as compared to Apple. What do what do both of you think about that? Uh, I would absolutely agree with that. That's you know, uh, Joel mentioned the, that the keyboard aspect of Android. That's definitely one plus that Android has over iOS. You know, with iOS, we the only keyboard we can use that's built into the operating system is the one that Apple provides. We don't have the ability to use a third-party keyboard. That's why I was saying, uh, wouldn't it be nice to use something like Flexi and be able to make that the default keyboard that you use for all the data entry on the phone? Uh, in order for that to happen, the way things are now is Apple would have to buy up this company and then incorporate that keyboard into its next operating system. Uh, with Android, if they were to write a Flexi app for Android, I'm sure that's one of the things you'd be able to do is tell Android, okay, I want Flexi to be my default data input keyboard, and voila, it would be there, and it would just seamlessly integrate with the operating system. So, and that's uh, what I've done with the iFree keyboard. I've just told it that's my default. I don't like the one that ex that was existing before, so just change it. You know, for myself, one of the things that I'm really very, very pleased with is that with my iPhone, it has Siri, which allows me to simply talk to my phone and I could ask it, what's the temperature going to be today? What time is it? Do I have any appointments tomorrow? I could talk to it and, and it will communicate with me. And I really just find that it's something that I don't find myself typing as much on the keyboard as I would have thought. Uh, is there... Anything similar to that on your Android cell phone, Joel, that you have used where you could use your voice to get the information you want? In fact, yes. In fact, the last time we talked about Android, I didn't didn't have any experience with this, but I've actually been using the voice commands on my phone where I just have to hit a button and, and give the phone a command like call Dr. Bill or look up. It, it's not as interactive as... Siri is now, but my phone's also two years old. The newer versions of Android have something called S-Voice, and I think that's more akin to Siri, where you can ask, have it search for you for different types of information, such as the weather. 
a lot of that stuff is also built in on my phone where I can just go to a screen and it'll tell me the weather. You asked the question about developing for both platforms, and that's that's actually something I'm pretty familiar with. I was looking at getting a license to develop for the for the iPhone and the iOS platform, and there are a lot of hoops that you have to go through. For one, you have to pay a subscription to do that, and the, then when you do develop an app, you have to go through you know, the committee at, at at Apple, and they have to approve your app for the store. And if there's some reason that uh, there's any conflict, they can pull your app from, from the store. And if I believe correctly, they can even pull it off the phones that had, had downloaded your app. With the Android, it's not as structured. If I want to start developing for Android, all I really have to do is get a, a book on Android development learn how to develop an app, I can immediately put that app on my phone. And if I want to sell it, I can I can approach either Amazon or or the the Google Play Store and you know, I don't think it's as stringent as Apple. The there are caveats to to both having a lot of structure where you don't have the flexibility, but having a more open structure, the caveat is you have a lot more information to weed through, and some of it might not be as useful. Yeah, great. Yeah, I have heard about the amount of work it is to go through developing a program uh, for for the iPhone. Um, but you know what? We have about 10 minutes left, and I'd like to leave some time so that our our audience can ask questions. So, audience, if you would please mute, unmute your phone if you have a question. So, if you have a question, would you press star six, and then you could ask questions to Charith and Joel. And Stuart with a question. Okay. Uh, actually, two questions, uh, sort of fundamental questions, in case there's any sub-techies or Luddites on the phone. But the first question is in terms of the connection to telephone service providers. Let's say somebody is new to a city. They don't have a, a computer. They don't have any telephone service yet. They walk into a store, they buy the iPhone. What do they have to know about where to go? Any telephone company can give the service? Can they use the iPhone in doing anything at all without telephone service? Um, there's so many choices nowadays, and more and more people carry the iPhone. It's not like when it first started where AT&T was the only one. Uh, now three major, uh, three of the uh, the. Uh, the uh, you know, the only one of the big carriers that doesn't carry it now is T-Mobile. AT&T, Verizon, and Sprint are three of the major carriers that carry the iPhone. The iPhone service for the iPhone. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you you can you can uh, get service with the iPhone. Uh, nowadays, even uh, even traditionally low cost or no contract carriers like Virgin Mobile uh, and, and uh, Metro PCS and, and Leap Wireless, uh, which owns Cricket Wireless. Uh, there's so many choices out there now for people to get the iPhones through. So I would, uh, what I would suggest is uh, what I always tell people when they ask me this question is you want to find out what, um, what, what, are, what are most people using in that area. And I would always say to call, um, if possible, a store, not a corporate-owned store. Uh, usually I tell people to call a corporate-owned store to get answers for this one. You actually want to call an independent. An independent uh, little guy that's, that, that sells service from all the carriers, 
because they, that person can tell you who he's selling more of and what kind of feedback he's getting from most of their customers. Or in that area, maybe AT&T covers better than Verizon, or maybe Sprint covers better than, than, than both of them. But I can't um, do anything unless you have telephone service. That's correct. Well, yeah, you you obviously have to have a, a, a wireless service in order to buy an iPhone or to use an iPhone. Otherwise, the only way that you could use an iPhone would be if you're going to be connected to Wi-Fi of some sort. Okay, and the second question is about the apps. When somebody goes into a store and buys an app, do they walk out of the store with something physical in their hand that they then later get on their phone, or do they hand their phone to the salesperson, the salesperson does something electronically to it? What does it mean to buy an app? We know what an app is. Believe it or not, you can buy an app just sitting right there in the comfort of your couch at home. You don't have to go to a store. When I mention the App Store, there's a little icon on the home screen of, of your iPhone that, that says App Store. You open that up, and you can search through categories. You can go by the most popular. You can just go into an area where you just search. You just type in something you're looking for, and it brings up choices. And right there from the comfort of your couch, you choose the one that you want, and you hit some buttons. And it, you have to have an iTunes, uh, an Apple ID set up with with your billing information. But once you've got that set up, you just hit the buttons, you enter your Apple password, and you just download an app to your phone. Uh, yeah, the free application works the same way. You, don't have, you can do it over the Internet, in other words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's money, all, it's all... the money's not the issue. It's it's just how you get the application. That you have free and and monetized apps, but they're all online. The, the way I do it for Android is similar to the Apple. You either do it on your phone or with Android, you can go to uh, the Google website. You have to have a Gmail account, but what you do is you search for your app, and if you find something you like, you just click the install button or click the buy it now button and even if my phone's not if my phone's not plugged in as long as it's on they'll send the app into my phone and it'll install automatically so it's, all I think it's similar with the apple isn't it julian yes uh you know it's it's just an automatic download you can do it from the handset itself or uh, for for apple you open up itunes uh, it's a program that you have to download into your computer and that's more communicates between your computer and, and your iPhone. So right from the program of iTunes, you can browse the App Store that way too, and you can do the buy the initiate the buying process. The program is then downloaded to your computer, and the next time you plug your iPhone into the computer, it's automatically synced with whatever you have in your computer. But for me, I just find it easier to go just do it straight from the handset and, and remove my computer out of the whole equation. So you don't even need a computer to. to put another apps in their phone just your phone. No, you don't. You don't. As the only reason you have you... internet. As long as you have internet, that's that's what you need. Something with the oh. internet connection. You need to have internet, yeah. Okay. Another yeah. quick if I could Tom, I have a question and a statement. Number one, question, uh flex key, how did you spell that? Uh that's the one thing. And the statement is old iPhones make great presents for grandchildren. You buy a new 4S just to give you a 3GS to somebody else, a grandchild. Now they have a camera and an iPod. Yep, very, very good advice. And the spelling of Flexi is F-L-E-K-S-Y. That's okay. And Julian, I have a question. Julian what is the cost of Flexi? Well, uh, Flexi was 
$19.99, I think it is. So like I said, it's, it's a little a little bit on the higher end, well, maybe the mid-end of apps, but it is such a useful app, and it will change the way that, that you type into the phone, you know, where before I, I, I might have wanted to respond to an email to figure, oh, well, you know, I'll wait till I get home because it's kind of a lengthy response, and I don't want to do it on touch screen, and I don't have my Bluetooth keyboard with me. With Flexi, it's like, no problem, I'll just open up Flexi, and I'll just sit here and type it out real quick. Great. Thank you. Ma'am, you had a question? Uh, it's Jeannie, and I was um, I don't use a cell phone, but I'd love to get an iPad, and there's no monthly charge, I believe, for that. Would any of the apps that you guys have so beautifully uh, talked about and introduced uh, work on the iPad? Um, yes, for the most part, that's true. Although I should let you know that there are options, even with iPads, where you could subscribe to 3G data packages. So if you want to use it when you're not at home and not near Wi-Fi, cool. that, is, that is an availability if one wants it. The only thing to consider when it comes to uh, iPad and, and iPhone, it's the same operating system. However, if an app was written specifically for the iPhone, the iPad having a bigger screen, if it's not optimized to work with the bigger screen of the iPad, you're oh. going to have to uh, you're going to have to focus your touching uh, or interacting with it for the middle of the screen versus the entirety of the big screen. So uh, okay. usually, when you search in the App Store, uh, if you can find out whether an app is for the iPhone or for the iPad. Thank you. Great, and we have time for two more questions. Two more questions, please. I have a question. I'd like to know if you have an opinion. Um, for people who are in their 80s and 90s and dealing with vision loss, is the learning curve going to be accessible to them? Do you have recommendations about whether one of these phones would be preferable? Um, well, I, I, again, my personal opinion is for that particular situation, it depends on how techy and geeky the person is. If, if this is a person who still likes to get into things and tinker around and doesn't mind uh, uh, playing around and experimenting, I think Android is, is, is a great choice. If it's somebody who doesn't really have the patience uh, for, uh, for as much of that, I think uh, iPhone is, is, is probably a better choice because it's, it's a little simpler, uh, a, a little more structured, if you will. And uh, I know that I've personally trained clients in their 70s on using the iPhone, so it's, it's definitely doable. Would taking a class at the Apple Store be a good way to get on board with it? Uh, it could be a good start, but keep in mind that even at the Apple Store, where you tend to, where I think you tend to get better service than at the carrier store who sells iPhones and many other phones, um, if, if there's somebody there who's really good with teaching the accessibility or teaching uh, what they're teaching you to go along with the accessibility, that's great. But if that's not the case, then you, you may or may not get as much out of it. Uh, I would recommend uh, there's a book put out by the National Braille Press called Getting Started with the iPhone, and they're actually going to be coming out with one for the iPad very soon as well. But it, even still, it's, it's very similar. That the, uh, the commands and the gestures are all the same because it's the same operating system. I'd recommend that book. You can go to www.nbt.org and just uh, search on that site for iPhone, and you'll, you'll come up with it. Um, there are maybe 
various organizations in different areas are, are starting to come up with uh, iPhone-type training. Or, of course, uh, you find somebody like myself uh, in your area that, uh, that teaches the iPhone. Yeah, right, thank I, you. I, I, I deal with a lot of seniors, and, you know, I don't know if either phone would be a good choice. It really depends on the person. Uh, either phone could be overwhelming. I've known people in their 70s and 80s to buy an iPhone thinking that it was going to be the next great thing that they'd get into, but then looking at it and just being frightened of it. And even when they get training, it's just too big a stretch. So, you know, you you really have to, you know, be ready for something like this before you just go out and get it. I think playing around with it would be the first good step for somebody to look at either one of these things, uh, you know, regardless of age, but more more if you have a question as to whether you'd use something like this. Mm-hmm. And I think another yeah. really good consideration, I know one of the things that has really helped me in learning to use the iPhone in the shortest amount of time is that most of the people that I'm surrounded by, whether it's at work and friends, most of the people, I would say maybe 80% of the people I know do have the iPhone. So if I wanted to know how to do something, I could ask one of many of my friends who are users of the iPhone. And that really makes it a lot easier for a lot of older adults who might be considering that. But like Joel and Julian said, the best thing is to go to a place and actually try it. Yep. Okay, we have time for one more question. We're running short on time. One more question for either Julian or Joel. Okay, I'll ask it. Uh, Joel mentioned, I think, that the barcode reader can read the prices of cans. How does that know what the price that supermarket is charging that day? The barcode doesn't show that. It'll, it'll identify it. Uh, what it. It doesn't check that specific supermarket. It'll check for uh, competitive pricing. What does that like, mean? I, I, went to, I went to Costco and I was looking for a, a baby car seat. So I used the scanner to to compare the price that I had at Costco with what was available outside, and I found out that Costco was undercutting the you know the the cheapest available the next cheapest available price. I don't understand. How could the barcode tell you what price? Costco was charging. If I, if I could just no, no, no. The, the sign was in front of me, so so I saw that, for instance, they, Costco was charging ninety dollars because you read a big other. So, but I used the barcode to find out what other people were charging for it to see if that price that Costco had and how was it, a good price or not. I don't understand how the barcode knows the price of other places. That's, that's no, my, it, okay. it knows what the item is. It doesn't. It doesn't necessarily know. What right. the price at Costco is, it knows that okay. I, he just scanned a baby car seat. It's this model. It's this brand. Go out on the internet and find out what other people are charging for it. Oh, so you know what product to ask for. Okay. Yeah. So then it'll tell you this one's at a hundred dollars. This one's at fifty dollars. So then you know what you're looking at in front of you in the store, and you go, oh, these are cheaper or these are more, and then that way you get the best price for what you want to what, what you're trying to buy. I guess there are ones that will identify what that store is specifically selling it for. I haven't come across that. I think so. No way would know that. 
the only way that a, that a, that a barcode scanner would know is if the store shared its database with the people right. who, who are operating that scanner. Yep. Okay, great. Well, gosh, this has been really, really great information. And uh, Joel and Julian, I'd like to ask, are you comfortable with giving your contact information if anybody has any other questions they could call you or email you? Joel? Sure. So my email is jpi underscore droid at novaellis.com. N is in Nancy, O is in Victor, O is in Oscar, V is in Victor, A is in Alpha, E is in Edward, L in Lima, I, Sam, dot com. My name is Julian Vargas. I can be emailed or called uh, by anyone who has questions, anybody who would like to arrange for training. I do training. I can come out and speak to groups uh, if they'd like uh, about the, and demonstrate uh, accessible products and things like that. By phone, I can be reached at area code 818-794-9554. My email address is P, like Paul, R, like Robert, T, like Tom, B, like Boy, L, like Lincoln, access, A-C-C-E-S-S, at gmail.com, so that's P-R-T-B-L, access, at gmail.com. Or you can even go to my, uh, what I call my online business card, www.techjv.com. That's www.techjv.com. Great, great. Well, I'm certain both of you gentlemen will be receiving a lot of calls and information. So I'd like to uh, thank again both of you for your time, and I'd like to thank all of the listeners for tuning in this evening. Remember, this podcast it has been recorded by Airs LA, and it will be available at their website, www.airsla.org. Also, the CCLVI website at www.cclvi.org. And it will also be on ACB Radio coming shortly at www.acbradio.org. So again, thank you very, very much, and we hope that you tune in next month. We'll bring you more information on Let's Talk Low Vision. Good night, everybody. Thank you.